Values are important. They reflect what we care about, what we're made of, and who we are. But what can happen when a church fully owns a set of shared values at their core? What can that mean for their sense of community and their purpose in the world? We invite you to take a deep dive with us into our core values of stewardship, ownership, simplicity, and hospitality. These are our four cores. The past few weeks, we have been in the middle of this series about our core values here. And what I love so much about the way these core values have been put together is that they're so much at the heart of Jesus and what Jesus taught and what Jesus was about. So in case you were wondering if we just kind of made these values up, we, we didn't. They're very much at the heart and the core of what Jesus was about and taught and what the early church was about and how they functioned. And so Pastor Melody and Pastor Benjamin kind of launched us off on this series. We talked already about simplicity and we talked about stewardship. And we have discussed those things already. This morning, we're going to talk about hospitality. Hospitality, which is such an important part of what makes any community great, but particularly a community of Jesus people. And particularly at this moment in our world, in our society, this idea of hospitality may be like, well, isn't that like people having people over to your house for dinner? Is that like what hospitality is? But that's not how we have defined it here. It goes so much deeper than that. If you look over on that board over there, you can see it. I think we're going to have it up on the board here. We've defined it this way. Hospitality. We are a generous people who share our resources, our prayers, our time, and our stories with each other. I want to read that one more time. We are a generous people who share our resources, our prayers, our time, and our stories with each other. That is an affirmation of who we are about what this group is about. And what we have declared, even though we never do it perfectly, who we want to be in the world. Because we believe that that is at the very heart of what it is to be a Christian. This definition of hospitality. To be generous people who share. And not just physical things, but emotional things. Our inner narratives, our fears, our hurts, our pains, our difficulties. We want to share in all of that. And we want to share it in more places than just when we meet here. You know, it's been very interesting to watch over the past couple of months when we couldn't meet here. And the question was, you know, you might have asked, well, if we can't meet here on Sunday, do we still have a church? And the answer was a resounding yes. Yes, we do have a church. And in fact, what we are doing here every Sunday is just celebrating what we have every day, all the time. And I saw it moving over and over again in so many lives, in so many house churches, where our, sing our house churches that used to meet in single houses now met in six houses 
all at the same time as everyone was on Zoom. But the hearts didn't change. In fact, they were reflected so often and so brilliantly over the past few weeks. And I want to celebrate that today. I want to celebrate that even in the midst of this time where we could not be face-to-face and we could not do what we're doing right now, that your sense of hospitality and servant leadership did not fail and it did not flounder. In fact, it grew. It grew. And this was an opportunity for us to share in that together. Now, this morning, I feel like it's the right time in this kind of topic to share one of the most famous stories Jesus told. And it's in Luke chapter 10. And this story, this parable that Jesus told was launched because of a question that Jesus was asked. And and here's how it went. In Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, let's be clear. This was not an open-handed, open-hearted, curious question. This was a test. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in that time, this phrase eternal life, sometimes we come to think of it as like life after we're dead. Like after I'm dead, am I going to go to heaven? Like that eternal place? But in their world at that time, it had much of a deeper meaning. In fact, it might be better translated life of the ages. Life of the ages. To have that deep kind of life that begins right now. What do I do to inherit it now and in the days ahead? And Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And in this moment, this expert in the law summarized two passages from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus that many Jewish scholars at the time had come to say, these two things summarize the law, these two passages. And here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But this lawyer wanted to justify himself. He wasn't looking for growth. He wasn't looking for depth. He wasn't looking for new answers and new ideas and new accountabilities for himself. He wanted to justify himself. And he was trying to test Jesus. And so he asked this question. A question that resonates deep with me today. And the question is, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? We're still answering that question, aren't we? (laughs) We're answering it right now in our world and in our own hearts. Who is my neighbor? And what does that mean? Because you know what he really wanted Jesus to say was love the Lord and love your neighbor as you love yourself and to define neighbor as the people kind of in my group, my family, my friends, the people that I understand and that understand me, 
the people I'm comfortable with, the other Jewish people and scholars, the people that agree with me, the people that see it my way. That's my neighbor, right? That is who I am supposed to love like I love myself. But now Jesus tells a story to challenge it. And it's okay, everybody, that Edward is in the room and he's having a good time this morning. Edward, we're so happy you're here. It's okay. I just want to acknowledge it's okay. Jesus told this story. It's a story that's very famous and we call it the Good Samaritan. Jesus didn't call it the Good Samaritan. Some old guys somewhere along the way decided this should be labeled in our Bibles the Good Samaritan. Now, after reading this story on many occasions in my life, I'm not sure that's an appropriate title. This is such a great story that to call him a good Samaritan, like it sounds like he's a good enough Samaritan, that's not so great to me. I think maybe calling him a stupendous Samaritan or a splendid Samaritan might be better than this good Samaritan label. However, do what you want with that. Okay. Jesus told this story. Now, let me say this, too. This was interesting to me when I pursued the history of this. This story, Jesus was not the first person to tell this story. This was not a story that Jesus wholly made up from nothing. In the first century, a version of this story was already in play. The story was not necessarily about a man just beaten on the road and robbed. There was a version of this story that had a leper. There was a version of this story about a shipwrecked Roman soldier. But in every version of that story, who was the hero? It was always a Jew. <laughs> it was always a rabbi or a priest or a scholar. It was always someone within their own tradition who was the one that helped, who was the one that made an impact, which is what makes this version of the story that Jesus tells so powerful and so maddening because they would have thought they knew where Jesus was going. They would have thought, oh, he's going to tell that story we've heard before. But Jesus, as he always does, messes with their brain here in this moment. So take that in context as we read this today. Jesus said, this is verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So we've got these two people that traditionally had been the hero of this particular story. But instead, Jesus tells the story this way. Now, we don't know if they had compassion or kindness in their heart, but if they did, in that moment, it was an evaporation into the air. And it disappeared in that moment as they just allowed themselves to pass by. To pass by. But there was a third person. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, 
came to where the man was, and he saw him. Now, in case there was any confusion, we, we, for you, we've talked about this before in other lessons when we've talked about the woman at the well and other stories like John chapter 4 where, where Jesus is interacting with people that are Samaritans. There was a massive conflict between Jews and Samaritans. And it was not about finances or just pure politics. It wasn't like Democrats and Republicans where they disagreed about some political things. This was like a fundamental feud of hatred between these two groups that was purely based on racial and cultural issues. And they hated each other. There's a story that was told by Josephus, who's a great Jewish scholar who lived in the first century, about a time where early in that century, some Samaritans snuck in with some pilgrims into Jerusalem, into the temple, and they defaced the temple, and then snuck away in the night. And the anger of that, of this holy space being defiled, it raged so powerfully. Now, Jesus told this story during his lifetime, but when the book of Luke came out, it was in like the early 50s. So like AD, well, no, actually late 50s. AD 56 to 58, something like that was when this book, this story came out. A little earlier in that decade, there was an event that had happened that was a tragic event where some Jewish pilgrims were coming down to Jerusalem for Passover. And they passed through the city, which was a Samaritan city of Janae. And as they passed through, they were beaten and killed by the Samaritans in that moment. And when that happened, the Jewish people in Jerusalem went to the Romans and said, this is a great atrocity. You must make this right. And the Romans said, we don't care. We don't care. We're not going to do anything about it. So a mob of Jews rose up and went to this town of Janae and burned it to the ground killed everyone in the town, and then the Romans got involved and they executed those Jews that had done that. So I want you to imagine this had happened. This kind of historical story had happened right in the contemporary context of this gospel being shared with the world. Here's what happened in this story. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this Samaritan, this person that was being perceived by Jesus' audience when this story was told as the enemy, the destroyers, the defilers, the massacres, massacres of people. Jesus makes the hero of the story. That's... That's maddening. That would have almost felt like blasphemy to those folks. 
not just the way the narrative went, but then he flipped it. He flipped it on him and made this guy the hero and made them the villain of the story. Then Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go, do likewise. Do that. Be that. So the question becomes, who is my neighbor? This is Jesus' answer to that question. Is this story? One of my heroes in my life is Mr. Rogers. I love Mr. Rogers. I don't know if you knew that about me, but I love Mr. Rogers. Judah loves him too. And if you don't love Mr. Rogers, it's okay. We can still be friends. But I love Mr. Rogers. He named his show intentionally. It's Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And how did he start every show? Hi, neighbor. And it didn't matter to him who you were that was watching. You could have been young or old. You could have been from this part of the world or that part of the world. It didn't matter what your skin color was or how much money you made or what your story was, or what your history was, or the mistakes you had made along the way, to Mr. Rogers, you were always a neighbor. And I think that came from his background in ministry, knowing this story and how Jesus defined a neighbor. I have missed hugs tremendously. Tremendously. And as I realize and think about that, is it because I'm not having any physical contact in my world? No, I've got a wife who's a great hugger. I can hug my wife anytime I want. She's great at it. She gives good long hugs. And my son Judah is great at it too. For me, it wasn't the physical contact I missed and have missed. For me, hugs are a generous expression. It's a way of saying there is no distance between you and I. You belong here. You belong here. There is no distance between us. It is a physical, symbolic expression of what I hope is true in my heart and yours in every moment. And although we express it so inadequately, so often, with a hug, there's just not so much confusion. It's much clearer. It's much simpler. It's much easier to understand. But in my heart, as I think was what Jesus was trying to express here, which is why it touches me and this story touches me so deeply, Stories and narratives and realities that put a spotlight on the situations where we are not treating each other like neighbors. We are not treating each other with hospitality. It breaks my heart. 
And what I love so much about this church is I have seen over and over again over time that it breaks your heart too. Breaks your heart too. And it makes us all want to stand up and say, what can we do? What can we do? And that has nothing to do with politics. That has nothing to do with group movements. That for me is about me. That's about me. Who can I be today? How can I share love today? How can I show someone else that there is no distance between you and I? You belong here. And I've had to get a little creative with that recently because I can't hug people so much. But I think that is an important thing we have to get creative about. And it, it involves every part of our lives. How can I, at the grocery store with my mask on, express to you that I see you as my neighbor and I will help you and I am here for you and I'm not afraid of you? That's been my fear about wearing a mask is that I was saying to people without meaning to say it that I'm afraid of you. Stay away from me. And I realize this is a time where we kind of have to do some of that for safety and for everyone. But it's still hard for me. It's still hard for me to do that. Because in my heart, I don't want there to be any distance. And I want you to know it. I want you to know it. Because for me, I want to be known as a generous person who shares my resources, my prayers, my time, and my story with others. And I want them to feel free and safe to share their story with me too. To share it with me too. Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 shared something else that has been so powerful for me. And it's interesting when Melody spoke last week, she shared the verses right before these verses. She was talking from Matthew chapter 25 as well, and she paused. She stopped to tell that piece about the talents and the use of the talents. But right after that, right after that passage about stewardship, Jesus tells a different story. And this story paints an image of what it will be like on the day when all of us are face-to-face, not just in heart, but with God, and all of our actions are seen and known, and whether whatever form that really takes, I, I don't know. But let's imagine we're doing it right now. Let's imagine it doesn't have to come later. Let's do that personal inventory today. And imagine that we together are here, and God is here with us. Jesus is here with us. The Spirit is here with us. And here's what he says to us today. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
Imagine Jesus standing on this stage today saying that to us. And imagine us replying as he says that. <laughs> Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Did it for me. Whatever you did to the least, not the most, not the most righteous and the most holy and the most beautiful and the most easy to love, not the people that looked like you and sounded like you and that you felt comfortable with and that everything felt comfortable and easy. Not how you treated those people. How you treated the least. Because when you did it for them, you did it for me. That was how you fed me, clothed me. That's powerful. It's powerful. And for me on many days, it's indicting as well. Because I have to ask myself the question, how well am I caring for Jesus? How good of a steward am I being of His Word, His message, His love, His heart, His compassion, His mercy, His grace? How good of a steward am I being of that? Very often the measurement of it is the hospitality, generosity I'm showing to what society might call the least. The most unimportant, the most irrelevant, the people who don't matter, the invisible, forgotten, unknown people in our society, in our world, in our neighborhoods, in the places we live. Because that's the reality. That's the truth of what Jesus would say if He was standing on this stage talking to us right now. As it says here, He will one day say to us. And that applies in a lot of ways. A lot of ways. But it applies to every situation about how we treat people that are strangers to us. The first stage of my career, I spent filming weddings and bar mitzvahs, and all kinds of things like that. And I filmed a lot of them. And it was very often that I would walk into a church building, or a synagogue, or any place I was, and I could tell from the moment I walked in to the person who was in charge of that facility that I was the enemy. I was the enemy. Why? Because other photographers and video people that had walked in before had moved their stuff around, and had stood in places they weren't supposed to stand, and had said and done things they were not supposed to do. And so when I walked in, they were just like, here we go again. Here's the moron video guy that's going to make the priest mad and upset the balance of all this stuff. And they would walk up to me and say, essentially, you dummy, don't break any of our rules. Here they are. And if you break any of the rules, we will never let you come in here and film ever again. And it was just kind of known, some of the places in town, that were that way. 
The very first time I filmed an event in an Orthodox Jewish synagogue, I had never been in one of those before. I did not understand their traditions. I walked in the door and I started setting up. I was there very early. And this woman walked over to me, who I found out later was in charge. And she walked over to me and she said, are you an Orthodox Jew? And I was like, here we go. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not. And she said, let me be a friend to you. Let me be a friend to you. And I said, I'd be delighted. And she said, I got two minutes. Let me walk you through this. Don't stand here. Don't touch that. If you're going to walk into this room, you need to have a yarmulke on your head. Don't make noise here. This is the best spot for you to film. We've done a lot of events here. This is the best. Make sure you raise your camera up high. Do you have any questions? Nope. If you do, come get me. My name's Barbara. That moment was so powerful for me. Because it would have been very easy for me to walk into a space that was not my space, where I was not comfortable, and there would have been every reason and justification for Barbara to be very angry with me as I violated all their rules and precedents that they had worked so hard to create and that they had had for centuries that I was a moron that I didn't know. But that's not what Barbara did. Barbara saw me as a neighbor. She helped me. She walked me through it. She didn't treat me as a stranger. She cared for me. She fed me. She gave me drinks. She gave me clothes. She took care of my needs in that moment with very open hands and an open heart. And 20 years later, I have never forgotten that experience. It affected the way I even saw that group of people. Now, it's terrible for me to say that, but this was my introduction. And what a beautiful introduction it was, full of kindness, compassion, grace. I want to be that kind of ambassador of light, compassion, and love in the world. I want to be that kind of ambassador for Jesus. Of the reality of who Jesus is and what his heart is. And that is why hospitality is so important here. Not just in this building, but for us, period, everywhere. To welcome others into our spaces. And to try the best we can to be compassionate in their spaces and to say there is no distance between us. You belong here. And imagine a world like that where we all felt that openness that we belong everywhere. We belong everywhere. We belong together. We belong with each other. That's powerful. Imagine how the world would change, how our hearts would change, if we could offer each other that kind of invitation in every moment. That's the power of hospitality. And that's why it reigns here in this group and in the heart of Jesus Christ.
I want to end by reading another familiar passage. And I'm going to pray it. This is what we often call the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to read it. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to read it slow. I'm going to pause after each line. And if you can, take it in as if it's the first time you've ever heard it. As if you've never heard it before. Never said it before. Never taken it in your heart before. And see how it feels. See how it feels as you pray or experience each word and each idea of it, and as we do that together. I'm going to do that, then I'm going to pause for a moment, then I'm going to pray again. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptations. And deliver us from evil. Let's pray. And then we'll sing. God, you are good. You have been good to us in so many ways. And we are grateful. Thank you for calling us your beloved. For treating us as friends when we treated you as an enemy. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Open our ears and our eyes and open our lives. Help us to be more generous with our time, with our resources, with our spaces, with our energy, with our stories. Help us to speak with grace and help us to hear with grace and with mercy. We love you. We love each other. We love this community. Help us to be filled with light, filled with your light and ambassadors of your goodness in this world. It is in the beautiful name and heart of Jesus that we offer this. Amen.